What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Just what teachers over the years have said to me, like, oh, honey, it's like disaster pay. Why, what do you love about this age? I love the awkwardness of this age. <laughs> yes. Oh, they're funny. They're so funny. Hey, everyone. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 50. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Today, we continue our special five-day mini-series, What Should I Read Next for Kids and Kids at Heart. We're focusing on a variety of young and young at heart topics this week. Children's literature, coming-of-age stories, literary heroines, kid lit for grown-ups, and more. We have a terrific lineup of guests for the week who love talking about the pleasures of reading for a lifetime, whether you're 6 or 26 or 106. If you're fired up about all the kid lit discussion this week, you're going to want to check out all the other ways to participate in reading for a lifetime. Yesterday, we had a ton of fun with our first Twitter chat. If you missed it, don't worry. There's another one this Thursday, November 17th, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, where we'll have plenty of practical and inspiring children's literature questions to chew on, such as the importance of reading models and mentors and incorporating the joy of Kidlet into your life even as a grown-up. Also, if you're wondering what Kidlet title you should pick up next, I guarantee another listener has a suggestion for you. This chat is a wonderful way to make friends with other book lovers and What Should I Read Next fans. You can follow me at Ann Bogle, that's Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L, and turn on my tweet notifications to be alerted when the conversation starts. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. We're also hosting an Instagram photo challenge this week. Follow the podcast at What Should I Read Next to see all the details there and share your own memories with us. Today's guest is a true pleasure and also a long-distance call. Lee Colazzo is a school librarian who serves children from over 30 different countries at an international school in China. Episode 2 of our Reading for a Lifetime series is all about encouraging middle school and young adult kids to indulge in great books, and Lee has a lot of wisdom to share on that topic. After all, it's her job. In this episode, we cover bibliotherapy for kids and teens, how middle school students can discover books they relate to, how to be a reading cheerleader to the young people around you, and more. That's a lot to cover, so let's get right into it. Here's Lee. Lee, welcome to the show. Hello. 
You have the distinction of being the furthest guest I've talked to. Ashley, it's 9 a.m. here as we're talking, and it's 9 p.m. there, which I think makes you halfway around the world. Tell us a little bit about where you are and what you're doing there. I am in Suzhou, China, and that is about, I don't know, it's 25 minutes on the bullet train from Shanghai, so um, not very far. And I am here because I teach at an international school. It's a British international school in Suzhou. So we have a very diverse school. It's a very neat place to be. Wow. So So I'd love to hear how you ended up there and how your students end up in this particular school. Let's, (laughs) Let's start with you. How long have you been teaching there and what's your background? So I lived in Texas prior to living in Suzhou for 18 years. Uh, so I taught in Texas. I uh, started out teaching English, seventh grade English, in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and knew right away from my very first time that I took my little seventh graders to the library that I wanted to be a librarian. I had uh, never really thought about that before. At the time, I really wasn't even positive I wanted to be a teacher, even though I was a teacher. Uh, I still had a lot of questions about my chosen path, even as I was teaching. And so uh, I took a class to the library, and it was like something clicked. And that very day, I asked our librarian at the school, and I asked her, what do I need to do to get into this job? And so I taught for three years. I worked on my master's degree. Uh, So I have a master's degree in library science. And from there, I went and taught elementary school in Keller, Texas, and eventually moved up to middle school in a different district. It was my home district, um, also in Fort Worth area in Texas. And uh, so I've been a librarian for, this is my 13th year. And so in education for 16 years, and we decided to come to China in 2013. I had been trying to get my husband out of the state for a long time, I think. (laughs) uh, We had been talking about moving um, to another state. We had been talking about moving abroad. And particularly with the moving abroad, we just didn't, it, it was sort of one of those things that other people do but we just didn't know anything about it. And so eventually we had a friend who taught band at our school. He and his family went to Seoul, South Korea, and a year later we went. So it was a, it was a whirlwind. It was one of those things where you, you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe my house is for sale. I can't believe all my stuff has, ha- has been in yard sales and I have nothing left. And um, I just, it, it, it's crazy. But once we got here, the school has taken excellent care of us. And um, it's been a great opportunity. I have two children. Um, they are nine and 11, two little boys. And they are very happy at the school. This is our third year here, and they they just love it. So it's been really fun and uh, quite a journey, and uh, it just continues. Okay, so your kids came from Texas because their parents got a job in Suzhou. Where do your other students, how do they end up in Suzhou at this school? 
So we have um, several businesses that are American businesses and um, businesses from other um, countries as well. Like our Korean students, we have uh, something like 30% of our students are Korean. And so that is because we have a big division of Samsung. And for the American companies, we have Caterpillar, there's L'Oreal, there's probably some other ones, but the, the really big one is Caterpillar. So we have a lot of students from um, the Illinois area, Peoria, Illinois area. So you were the librarian yeah. at the school. I am. I am the senior school librarian. It's a British school, so we are on the British education system. So it is year 7 through 13, which is the same as grade 6 through 12 in the U.S. Is that your sweet spot? Was it important to you to work with that age range? Yes, very much. I love middle school particularly. Okay, so many people right now are going, what? Because (laughs) parents and teachers are terrified of middle schoolers and have no idea how to interact with them about anything. And, you know, let alone books and reading, especially like if reading is precious to you as an adult, you don't want to hand that to a middle schooler so they can stomp all over it. (laughs) And I might be exaggerating a little, but this is just what teachers over the years have said to me, like, oh, honey, (laughs) it's like disaster pay. What do you love about this age? I love the awkwardness of this age. (laughs) Yes. Oh, they're funny. They're so funny. And um, they have a lot of personality. They are starting to come into their own personality. They're no longer little kids, but they're not really um, adults. They're definitely not adults. They're they're almost not even young adults at the sixth grade, seventh grade age. Um, and they're starting to find out what their own interests are and what they're good at. And um, they're still really, I know this is going to sound crazy, but they still are really very sweet at this age from about six, sixth grade is my favorite. Don't tell seventh grade they think they're my favorite, but it's truly at sixth grade. So it sounds like what you're saying is they're changing really rapidly during they the are. years you see them. Yes, it's wonderful. It's a great thing to watch how they come into their own personalities. Here's what I want to hone in on. A lot of readers, whether we're parents or not, feel like we know how to foster a love of reading in a young child. You know, come sit by me on the couch. Let's read this great Dr. Seuss book. Like, we know how to do that. And we know how to connect with older readers like teens and college students and other adults bond over a love of great books. But these middle years are baffling to so many parents (laughs) and adults who aren't right in the thick of it. Let's explore that. As a Mm -hmm. librarian and as a human being, how do you foster a love of reading in your 6th, 7th, and 8th graders? How How do you bond with these kids over the books? And how do you find books that will connect with them during these important coming of age years? I am so glad you asked me that question. I see the classes every two weeks. And one of the things that really um, saddens me about when students go from elementary to middle school is that elementary students go to the library every week and no one ever says they don't have time to take their class to the library. Uh, no one ever questions that. It's just given that they go. When Even when I was a child, we went every week to the library and checked out books, and the librarian read us a story. Think about your middle school when you were in school. Did you go to the library every week or every other week in middle school as a, as a class to do checkout and library time? I don't think so. I mean, I had a really hard time visualizing where the library was. I think it's yeah. where they made us hang out before if we got to school before school actually started so until the bell rang you could spread out your stuff at a table and talk to your friends but i don't remember anybody ever looking at the books 
So um, one of the things that I do as a librarian, and I believe very, very strongly in, is having those students come from elementary into middle school and still getting that regular library time. I just think that that is vital. It can be difficult, even at the middle school level, um, if teachers do not see the value to it. So it's really important that the librarian and the teacher are working together to plan lessons and to, uh, right now our classes are doing um, in your, uh, in grade six, seven, and eight, year, year seven through nine. Um, they have been working on a poetry unit. And so the library lessons that I've been doing when the class comes in, I have them for the full hour. The teacher is in there with them as well. And I'm talking, uh, this week I did a activity with free verse poetry. And so we looked at several examples of free verse poetry. We talked about crossover by Kwame Alexander, who yes. I've seen form. Oh my gosh, he's amazing. Oh, man. Um, he came to our battle of the books. He came all the way to China last year. We got to see him in April. Wow. Yes. I, I just think it's very, very important that uh, students are getting that, that library time and that they're getting a lot of uh, book talking with the librarians, but I do themes. Um, we might do um, a, a particular genre. My entire library is sorted is um, the fiction section is divided by genre. We have 20 different genre that the students can choose from. So instead of looking for a book, like traditionally a library is set up that fiction book, if they come in and they, they would need to look at the, for the author's last name, the first three letters of the author's last name. But uh, I discovered a long time ago that that's not how they're looking for books. They come in and they say, oh, where's your scary books? Oh, mm -hmm. where's your books like Diary of a Wimpy Kid? Mm -hmm. You know, and so um, back at my school in Texas, I actually put the books, we, we color coded them by genre and then put them together on the shelf. And they're still alphabetical by author within the genre. So um, that has been crazy, crazy valuable. At my school in Texas, our circulation tripled just from that, uh, doing that in one semester and it stayed high. So what you're saying is kids will read more if it's easy for them to find books they think they're going to like. Yes, and if, if they have adults cheerleading those books as well, um, they they need to have adults telling them books. I have read many, many books. I think our students think I have read every book in the library, which I wish, but um, <laughs> I, I tell them, no, I haven't read every book. I'm slow, actually. I'm a slow reader, but I'm just old. That's what I tell them. I've just read a long time. Mm -hmm. so, but they come to me and they ask me for book recommendations. Um, I have this quiz that I made up called the What's Your Genre Personality, and it's sort of like... Like um, those magazine quizzes we used to take when we were kids, like yeah, in teen magazine. Yeah, yeah. So it asks questions like, it says like, pick some clothes. And then there's eight answers they can choose from and I ask them to pick their top three. So like an example would be um, a dark cloak, a monocle, and a pipe. And so they, anyway, they do all these different questions. And um, if they have mostly A answers, then they are these genre. And if they and they have mostly B answers, they're these. And so there's eight different ones that I did. And each genre personality is several genres. So like the questioner is um, somebody who would really like mystery and narrative nonfiction. And mystery is the main one for questioner. 
but uh, anyway, I did these profiles on the types of students that are looking for those books and they love it. So we do the quiz in class and um, then I have bookmarks that go with it that recommend books for those personality types. I, by the way, am an escapist. So I read to uh, get away from life. So I don't read as much realistic fiction as I do um, fantasy and science fiction. So I like to get away from the world. Lee, it sounds like what you're doing is letting the kids think they're discovering their own books, even though you are guiding every step of the process there. That is a perfect way to put it. Yes. And they're going to be listening to this podcast. So now they know the secret. (laughs) What I want to know is, so you are a librarian. You are in this unique position that parents and adults everywhere are glad exists where you can advise kids and they will accept your advice because you are not blood related to them. So for parents who want to replicate the experience of suggesting books without their kids feeling like they're being handed books by their parents, because like my daughters don't want to read books I recommend to them, period, the end. But if I bring it home from the library and I leave it lying around on the kitchen counter, they're likely to pick it up and read a couple (laughs) pages and then, you know, read 300 before (laughs) before they think to ask, mom, did you get this for me? (laughs) What are some ways that we can encourage reading among the young people in our lives if we're not, if we don't happen to be a middle school librarian? What do you what I do think, you recommend? What are some general tips for fostering a love of reading in this age group you work I with? I think and for parents that are looking for books for their children, they need to read books themselves. Their children need to see them reading. They need to model that. My kids see me uh, so, so, so much reading. Um, they they kind of groan when they, oh, mom's reading. You know, I guess dinner's, <laughs> dinner's going to be whenever it's going to be. But uh, really, they do need to see the parent that their parents love reading also. And so I would suggest that parents that aren't currently reading, that they read something. And I would actually suggest that the parents read the books that their children might read as well. Um, that way they can talk uh, talk about the books I, or even read to your children. And yes, even at the ripe old age of 11, um, I do still sometimes read to my 11-year-old. He sometimes will ask me to read to him. doesn't happen as often as it used to, but it is still there. And I think just fostering that and keeping that alive long after they're that, you know, they start school. A lot of people stop reading out loud to their kids when they um, enter kindergarten or first grade, and we really lose them if we if we let that go. So um, that feeling of sitting on your mom's lap or your dad's lap and reading a story is is more than just the book. There, it's the feeling that you're reading with your parents, and this is special time. Yeah, I read a really interesting Wall Street Journal article about that. My my parents clip all the good stuff for me out of their subscription and pass it <laughs> along. And we will put it in show notes if I can find it on the internet. But okay. it said that a lot of parents naturally quit reading out loud to their kids when their kids can read for themselves. But that's a big missed opportunity, not just for literacy, because it does foster a love of reading and an enhanced vocabulary because my reading level is still higher than my six-year-old, even though he can read on his own. But also it's it's that special protective one-on-one time that yes. kids can count on often near bedtime and they don't want to give that up. Yeah. I think also parents should take their children to the library and really give them choice. It shouldn't be that mom's handing the child a book and saying, this is what you should read. You would like this, especially at 11, 12, 13, they are going to reject that. Let them explore the library. Let them decide what they like to, to read and let them read what they want to read. 
do not interfere in that. Um, there's a lot of parents. I'm so I've I have been endlessly thankful to my parents that they never, ever said you can't read that or don't read this or don't read that kind of book, ever. And I I was reading Stephen King and V.C. Andrews in sixth and seventh grade. I was reading some pretty heavy stuff. I read it in eighth grade. Um, Stephen, you know the big thousand page, whatever. And I read The Stand in ninth grade by Stephen King. And I've got all this great memory of, you know, scaring the pants off myself <laughs> when I was um, sixth grade reading Pet Cemetery was my very first Stephen King in mm-hmm. sixth grade. And, and um, I just, we were not the same that. kind of reader in sixth grade. <laughs> I had friends well, reading funny. that. Well, as an adult, I, I actually read more young adult now. I read actually almost exclusively young adult now. Um, but as a uh, teen, as a young, even middle school age, I read uh, mostly adult books. So not not too many kid books I got out of elementary school. And it was like suddenly I'm reading all these adult books. But you know what? I That was what I wanted to read. And had my parents told me, you can't read that, don't read that. I would have read it anyway, <laughs> truthfully. Um, they just wouldn't have known. And then I'm hiding something from right, them. Right, right. And that, that creates a rift as well. It's better for them to, um, it, my, my uh, mom is not, she's a reader now because she's, she does, uh, she's discovered audiobooks and now she's reading all this. You know, she, I, she read Roots. She was talking to me about Roots, uh, Alex Haley. And I'm uh-huh. like, wow, mom, never know you to be a reader. But, um, and my dad, my dad does read as well, but he reads, um, like a lot of nonfiction war type stuff. So mm-hmm. really had nothing to do with it. If my parents had given me that stuff to read, I wouldn't have read it anyway. <laughs> so I'm going to read what I want to read. And I think parents need to let their kids, they're, they're not going to be damaged. They will be fine if they read. It doesn't mean if they read a book about teen pregnancy that they're going to go out and get pregnant. It's probably less likely, to be honest, because uh- they're seeing somebody else dealing with it. We're going to be hearing this theme again on the podcast later in the week. So you are in good company. (laughs) So you mentioned YA lit and a lot of adults either don't think it's for them or just aren't familiar with it. Do your kids read a lot of young adult fiction? My, my I mean, your kids in the boys? library, your students. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. They read a lot. Yes. Our library has, our circulation has, uh, circulation of library books has increased. Um, so I did the this tally the other day. So the first year I was there, it increased by 38%. Second year, it went up 31 additional percent. And then this year, we're already up 9% over last year. So yes, they read. But that is the result of coming to the library and um, talking about books. I just saturate them with books all the time. We talk about books. Even when I'm not talking to them, I have a television in the corner that plays, um, It's I call them silent book talks. Um, I guess we could say book whispers. Um, <laughs> but they, they, uh, it's just a PowerPoint that scrolls and it puts a, it's a cover of a book, a title, and a little snippet of something to get them kind of interested in it. It's amazing. I don't even have to say anything. And they're like, where's that book? So <laughs> it works very well. So, but just saturating them with literature all the time. And it, that is the secret. It's not rocket science. It's just exposing them to lots of really good literature. Are there a few titles that are really popular right now with your students? So many titles. They are really, really enjoying graphic novels are always very hot in our library. That is one area my students would like to see more realistic fiction for girls and for boys and graphic novels. What do they they like uh, about that? I think they like seeing people, uh, students their age dealing with the same types of things that they are dealing with every single day. And there are some 
uh, graphic novels that are realistic fiction. We have This One Summer, and uh, I want to say Tamaki is the last name of the author. This One Summer is about two young girls who are, um, they only see each other in the summer. Their families have side-by-side houses in this beach town, and they visit only in the summers. So, um, And um, they're around 12 years old, doing things that girls do. They spend the night and they eat pizza and they watch horror movies. And But the real story is people around them that they're observing. A girl that has found out she's pregnant, a teen girl, and she tells the boys. So they're just kind of there and they see it happen. And then um, one of the girls, her mother is clearly depressed, but she doesn't understand what's happening, but the reader would. So it's like a slice of life story. They really love um, Raina Telgemeier's smile and drama she just uh, came out with a new one called Ghosts, which they're begging me for, and I'll get it as fast <laughs> as I can, guys. <laughs> I've already, I've already worked, already working on it. But I think that they love the color of the the illustrations. I know that you talked about Roller Girl um, on one of your um, mm-hmm. My one girls of your love shows that. with and, the and yes, Raina, talk I love her. Roller Girl. Yes, yes. Um, so Roller Girl and Awkward by uh, I know I'm going to say this name wrong. Svetlana Chimakova. Kova. We'll yeah, put it in the show notes really so that you don't have to try okay. to figure out how to spell that. Okay, great. <laughs> So they are also say that's graphic novels. I I do see uh, we need more graphic novels for boys that are realistic. There's really not a lot. The boys really like Doug Tenapple. Uh, he did Bad Island and Ghostopolis, which are great. I've read both of them, um, and they are fabulous, very well illustrated. But um, we need more of that. There's a lot of graphic novels that are more the serialized anime like Naruto and Bleach and those are all very popular as well but I I don't see enough realistic fiction for boys in graphic novel format I think that's a real hole that we we need to fill they they really like oh gosh the selection series mm-hmm. by Kira Kass mm-hmm. um and uh, we, The Crown just came out back in May, so I do have that one, and that's been all the rage. We have a book called Friends for Life, which is about a girl who is a ghost, and one day suddenly somebody can see her. Friends for Life has been very, very popular. There is uh, Fish in a Tree, which is another realistic fiction. It seems to me realistic fiction it has increased in popularity in the last couple of years. We're going away from the, the sci-fi dystopia, although that's still very popular. Um, <laughs> but I've seen, <laughs> I've seen kind of a shift um, from that to into more realistic. A few years ago, it was a shift from paranormal, like the vampires and the werewolves. Mm-hmm. Now we've seen a shift to, we saw that shift to kind of the dystopia. And now I'm seeing that go kind of to the realistic. What do you think it is about the realistic fiction that's really resonating with your students right now? I, th- I just think that they can relate to it. I think kids have a lot of, I know adults think, oh, you know, you're 12. What could possibly be worrying you? You're fine. Oh, Enjoy your haven't childhood. Haven't they ever been in middle school? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's not an easy stage. Remember, (laughs) yeah, no, Uh, no. So I think that the kids like to read about other people who are their age, who are having the similar um, problems that they have. I think Uh they love it when they can identify with a character and feel like they know that person. And so I think that that's what draws them to it is that they can see themselves in a character. So reading about kids going through their own struggles helps 
real kids through real kids struggles? Yes. We have a term. Um, I don't know if this is just a library term or if it's a general term. Have you heard of bibliotherapy? Oh my gosh. That's an, I, yeah. I hope everybody <laughs> has heard of bibliotherapy. <laughs> Yeah, so bibliotherapy um, is where uh, students read a book that help. It's about another person um, their age that is dealing with a similar issue. So, for example, if a child is um, dealing with a parental divorce, reading about other children's fiction stories or nonfiction stories about parental divorce can help them um, sort of work that out and see how other people their age have dealt with that and what they've and maybe they've dealt with it in a negative way they even reading about it that way they can go well oh, I don't want to do that I want to handle it that way um, but they can kind of work out how to feel about it it's, it's hard when you when you have uh, something traumatic happen to you at that age and, and you just don't know how to feel um, you don't know if you one day you might feel really really sad and the next day you might not really feel anything and that's confusing so it's fiction can help that, normalize that experience for a lot yes, of years yes yeah i like that word normalize yeah they're not alone so as a librarian you must prescribe a lot of books <laughs> yes, I do. And I actually have taken a page from your book. I've started asking them, tell me three books you love and one book you don't love. <laughs> I love <laughs> and it. And that helps me too. And then, uh, then sometimes they'll give me three very different books, which they also do on your show. And I think, oh, goodness, those are really tough. You know, when they tell me three dystopias, I'm like, okay, we're going with the dystopia today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so those can be really tough, but but they're great. They're really, they're really good sports. And I do tell my kids, um, the, the worst thing that can happen is you, if you don't like it, just bring it back. You don't have, nobody's telling you you have to read the whole thing. I think you have the right to abandon a book if it's not for you. And, um, I, I, I really, sometimes I'm at odds with English teachers about that because they, <laughs> they want them to, you know, read the whole book and, and all that. But I really, not every book is for everybody. And if you get 30, 40 pages in and it's not your, your thing, I do it. I if I start a book and I don't it's not going where I'm thinking I want to go I just abandon, there's too many great books out there for me to read to waste my time and when I know is not going to work for me Lee this has been so interesting to hear about your on the ground experience with real middle schoolers and high schoolers yes. too but yes I would love you to leave us with three crowd-pleasing favorites that have been big hits with your students like three recommendations you really stand behind what do you have for us? All right. So we've been talking about realistic fiction and how I see uh, kind of a, um, a turn in that direction. So what I wanted to focus on is um, three young adult books that I think adults will also enjoy Ooh, because I, I, like do encourage, <laughs> I do encourage adults to read young adult. Um, just because the characters are young um, does not mean that their stories are not um, valid and worth reading. They're fabulous. I was looking for books in doing that um, that focus on characters growing up and maturing, becoming more wise to the world in uh -huh. some way. My first book is The Knife of Never Letting Go. And I searched your show. I didn't see that one on there. <laughs> so no. I don't think any of these three is on here. So I've never read that. Do you know this book? Oh, well, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I just came across it in a book I read. So I just read this book. Oh, really? Uh-huh. The Bookshop on the Corner by Jenny Colgan. So The Bookshop on the Corner is a light-hearted, fun novel about a librarian who loses her job in budget cuts and opens her own book fan. 
basically. And so when I read the blurb for this book, it said something like she's a literary matchmaker and they actually use that term. And I thought, I don't care if it has one star rating. I have to use, I have to read a book that has literary matchmaking in the title. I love that. The Knife of Never Letting Go, I had to Google it after she recommended it to a kid who'd read the Harry Potter series multiple times and didn't know what to read next. But I haven't read it yet, so I'm very curious to hear. So Knife of Never Letting Go, this boy Todd is getting ready to turn 13 and um, become a man. (laughs) So he lives on a planet that they've colonized, but when they first landed on this planet, they discovered two things. Uh, One was that they could hear each other's thoughts and animals as well. The other thing that they discover is that um, this, whatever it is that causes them to be able to hear other people's thoughts, they can't hear women's thoughts. And the women die um, very quickly on this planet. So there are no women. This is all men. So Todd is the youngest. So they're all telling him something special is going to happen when he turns 13. You don't know what when I read it, I felt sort of breathless. I felt like I'd been holding my breath the entire time I was reading because it was so fast paced. So um, I can see where somebody would recommend that to someone who loved Harry Potter. This, by the way, is by Patrick Ness, who wrote A Monster Calls, which is getting ready to be in theaters, I believe, in December. But uh, anyway, I've read all three in the trilogy. And the third one is just... um, Oh, you just feel so emotionally dragged out because it's so, um, I mean, in a good way, um, (laughs) really a good way. It's Uh it's just one of those books that really sticks with you. So highly recommend for adults and men definitely would love this book as well. All the characters are not men. But uh, yeah, it, it does start out that way. But it's it's fabulous. Just um, very high action if you if you like that. Um, my second book is called The Storyteller by Antonia Michaelis. Do you know this one? No. I want to say it's translated from German, but you might check that. I'm not sure. This is going to sound like a bad boy, good girl romance, but it's so not that. It, there's so, so much to this story. All I would say with this one is don't read too many reviews if you want to read it. Um, there's a lot of twists, and I worry that the reviews will spoil it. Ooh. The Goodreads rating is very, very high uh-huh. um, on this, and that is a well-deserved rating. So this is about a girl named Anna and a boy named Abel. They go to the same school, but they don't travel in the same circles. Anna is living in a suburb. She has a nice family. She does well in school. She's just a nice girl. And Abel is the local drug dealer. He lives in a one of those concrete block buildings, um, sort of at the edge of town. It's, it's, um, you know, know, there's litter and things in the streets and it's one of those types of places. They really don't travel in the same circles until one day Anna goes to eat at a university. um, She likes to eat after school in this university canteen and he is there and she sees he's got, there's this little six-year-old girl and he is telling the little girl a story about the tiny queen. She starts listening. She's eavesdropping and she comes back the next day and listens some more. So there's a story within a story, but the tiny queen story is actually an allegory for what's going on in Abel's life. People start dying in real life mysteriously. And so she starts wondering if it's Abel 
and and how it's all connected because she she's trying to work out who these characters are in the tiny queen story that he's telling his sister. It's fabulous. It will it's it's emotional. It is absolutely not a good girl bad boy story even though there is a romance in it. It's it's just fabulous. That sounds really interesting. And then the last one is Salt to the Sea. This is about a shipwreck, the Wilhelm Guslov. In 1945, Russia was invading Germany. They were evacuating Germans, and the largest of the boats is the Wilhelm Guslov. It was about 24 hours after it uh, went out to sea, had over 10,000 passengers on it, on a ship that was supposed to be for about 1,500 passengers, so it was massively overcrowded. It was torpedoed by Russian submarines. There there were survivors, but not very many, um, over 9,300 deaths. And I start out by telling the students, you know, how many of you have heard of the Titanic? And they, you know, they have all heard of the Titanic. And then I'm like, okay, how many of you have heard of the Wilhelm Gustloff? And there's no hands, like no one. Even the teachers don't know. I honestly had not heard of it either. No, me Um, either. Not until I picked up the book. (laughs) Yeah. Have you read this? I have. Did you have a favorite character? Favorites are hard. Did you? Oh, (laughs) I totally did. Uh, Alfred cracked me up. He was the one that was the Nazi on the boat, and he was always trying to shirk his duties. Oh, my gosh. He was hilarious. She's an amazing storyteller. Her writing style is just beautiful. She has a way of um, sucking you into the story and just not letting go. So you've said repeatedly how important it is to talk about books with the kids in our lives. Do you have any closing tips for how to do that? Any words of encouragement? I think just you need to read, 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 and have your your children see you reading. And uh, like I'm preaching to the choir here, right? Read books and talk about them with your children. They, they really do want to talk about books. They love to talk about books. And even though, especially the ones who are not reading as much as you might want them to, let them come into that on their own, but let them read what they want to read. My, my 11-year-old, he likes to read, but he's busy with other things and he doesn't always think about it. So if, if what he wants to read is Big Nate and graphic novels, fine. I'm, I'm just happy he's reading something. We'll move on to harder stuff when he's ready. I don't need to put Hey readers, I hope today's discussion has you inspired to go make a bookish difference in a middle grader's life. You can head over to the podcast site for the full list of titles Lee and I talked about today. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 50. Let me know there what you do to encourage the kiddos in your life to read and leave some love for our wonderful guest, Lee Colazzo. Remember to hop on Twitter Thursday, November 17th, 2 p.m. Eastern for some warm and welcoming conversation about reading for a lifetime with me and other What Should I Read Next listeners. You can follow me at Ann Bogle, that's Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L, and turn on my tweet notifications to be alerted when the conversation starts. It's going to be a great time. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.